Good afternoon, and welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Do you want to help make the world a better place but don't know where to start? Join us as we explore the possibilities on today's show with inspiring guests, uplifting music, and new ideas. So let's get started. Here are your hosts, Lori Ann Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead. Welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. I'm your host, Lori Ann Rising. And I'm your other host, Uncle Mark Olmstead. We're excited to welcome back guests from one of our most popular episodes to hear more of their stories, as well as learn more from their 40 years of experience in living off the grid, homesteading, and a lifestyle of social distancing. We have Ron and Joanna Melchior with us. This couple has spent over 40 years as off-the-grid homesteaders, and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I just love the sound of that. Um, they blog for various sites, including Mother Earth News, and have published in Back Home Magazine, Small Farmer's Journal, and Countryside, and Small Stock Journal. They also appeared in off, excuse me, Life Off-Grid, a documentary film and book about people living off-grid throughout camp. Ron is the author of Off-Grid and Free, My Path to the Wilderness, and a couple, a couple recently co-wrote The Self-Sufficient Backyard for the Independent Homesteader. Welcome back, Ron and Joanna. Yes, welcome back. We're really excited. And I do want to just let our audience know real quick, too, that I know you guys are coming from satellite, so there might be a little delay at times, but we are very excited to have you with us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's great to be back. Happy to be back. Well, we have... uh... Been looking forward to this because you're you actually you're one of our more popular guests that we've had on. I just want to make sure you're aware of because it's it's been really cool to to see that there's a real interest in this uh, for not just me but uh, actually our listeners as well. And mm-hmm. it's it's pretty pretty exciting that you know we get to share some some real true experts that have actually been doing this for the last 40 years so so um so when you talk about the freedom though you know i mean uh, that that's obviously what we're all after so can you expound a little bit more about what your the, the kind of freedom that you've had from this unconventional life sure i'd be happy to um let me just tell you what this unconventional life uh, what we're ter- terming is an unconventional life as you mentioned uh, we've been off grid for 40 years we don't never had an electric uh, line we've never paid an electric bill is that uh, element of self-reliance of growing our own food and stuff so in that respect um, as a young guy I was an electronics technician I felt there was more to life than just working it away and that's what led to this unconventional uh, start. I just headed up to Maine and uh, started in on on homesteading. Um, and as you mentioned, it gives you a tremendous amount of freedom. I ultimately was uh, able to hike the Appalachian Trail and uh, bicycle across the United States, and I'd be happy to, to talk more about that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> these, uh, these were stepping stones, and you might wonder why it's uh, important to maybe talk about this. These are stepping stones. These are confidence builders. These are things that I did in, and Joanna and I teamed up to do that gave us the confidence that we could really do anything that we set our, our minds and hearts to. So 
having done those couple of trips, that allowed us to live out in the wilderness. That was, and that's tremendous freedom, living out in the wilderness. And as part part of that uh, wilderness experience, I we survived a couple of forest fires, and uh, I was even touched by a bear once. So um, there's certainly a lot of adventures as part of this unconventional life. Touched. And, uh, like, I, yeah, touched. There's a little story behind that, but uh, obviously I was asleep at that time, but uh, I woke up in a, in a hurry. That's one way to wake up that you don't plan oh, for. <laughs> so I, I really, I, I want to hear more actually about that particular story. But first, I'm really curious, like, how, how do you define freedom itself? Like, what does that really mean to you? Well, for me, it means getting up in the morning, and I get to decide how I'm going to spend my day. When you go off to a job, any job I've ever had anyway, there's pretty much a set routine. You do this when you first get there, and then the day just progresses in an orderly fashion. I, to me, I always found that monotonous. It was the same routine pretty much day after day. But here, living this lifestyle that we live, it gives us, like I say, the freedom to get up in the morning and decide how we're going to spend the day. Now, granted, there were certain times of the year where there are certain things that have to be done in a timely fashion. In the spring, it's, you know, plant. In the fall, it's harvest. When something's ready to pick, it's, you better pick it or you're going to lose it. When yep. it's time to preserve it, you've got to preserve it. But there's still a, a certain degree of freedom, even given those constraints. And the, the rhythm of our lives vary with the seasons. Um, we're coming up now. It's wintertime. So we'll be doing more indoor activities. Uh, this is the time of the year that we'll work in the woods, collecting firewood for the following winter season. So there's really never a time where we're ever bored. And, but the routine is varied. So that life is not monotonous. It's not the same thing day in and day out gosh, I can't wait for the weekend and, and so I can not have to go off to my job and I can have Saturday and Sunday to do whatever I choose to do. Pretty much our weekend is seven days a week. We get to decide what we're going to do each and every day. So a lifestyle of not having to wait for vacations. I, I just exactly love that. Well, it's that I did the idea too of living someone else's schedule. I think that that is so demoralizing and and disempowering that that it feels like I, I, I guess that's it's maybe an addiction that that our our culture is so completely blind to that we are all basically I I feel kind of unwilling to really fully look at you know because you know who likes to look at their own addictions right. Um, <laughs> And I guess uh, it just feels to me like you guys are such a great example of, of living and, uh, you know, you're, you're connected to the kind of addiction that we all ought to be, <laughs> you know, the seasons, the, the rhythm of the earth, the, the, you know, the kinds of things that we need to be doing to be taking care of the planet and ourselves and, and not being directed by someone's, someone else's agenda. 
Sorry. And you're not working to make the, the business owner rich. You're working for yourself. You're cutting out the middleman. They're exactly. doing things that you may be um, earning income on your own or and if you're just growing a, a garden or something like that, it's it's the equivalent of, of earning some income. You're you're providing your own food, for example. So uh, you're cutting out that middleman by not having to work for somebody else. You're working for yourself. Mm. Tremendous freedom. I absolutely love that particular aspect. I do know that there are people who really enjoy having the routine and structure of a job too. So there's there's balance everywhere. And I think everybody has a place. But I know personally, I love having the flexibility to work from where I want to and, and that kind of freedom. So I just, mm-hmm. I love that very much. And I do want to get back to, I want to hear, how did you wind up in the woods being touched by a bear? We kind of dropped that and I, I'm, I really want to hear that story. Well, the getting back to uh, like the Appalachian Trail, these, these things were the confidence, confidence boosters that gave us the the confidence to be able to even think about moving out into the wilderness. So before this was uh, in Saskatchewan that we were going to move out into the wilderness. So before I, uh, we settled on some place out there, we wanted to to explore and and scope things out. So I headed up to uh, Saskatchewan on my own to, to scope things out. Uh, on my own and uh, I was in a campground and it was the fall and I had just uh, come from a town a remote town north who had a KFC chicken joint I had the chicken and I drove all the way uh, southbound with that chicken in the car and I was eating it and there was no place to uh, to wash my hands or anything so I Pulled into a campground. It was nighttime. I threw all my stuff behind the car and I went to sleep. And I <laughs> evidently was smelling a little bit like KFC chicken. And oh. I got the attention of a bear who, uh, fortunately, I was asleep. He's, he came up, didn't quite know what to make of me, smacked my feet, and uh, I bolted upright. And we kind of looked at each other in the dark. I could just see this hulk of a, of a bear maybe 10 feet away and in my most manly voice i said go on shoo and uh fortunately he knew i was uh i meant business and he did uh, leave but uh that i don't want to repeat that that's something uh oh you don't want to repeat so don't go out into the woods smelling like chicken that's that's good advice yes <laughs> And actually, in uh, Ron's first book, um, Off Grid and Free My Path to the Wilderness, he actually has a chapter in this book about this event. And uh, it goes into a little bit more detail, but you get the gist of the story. And that is kind of the moral of the story. You don't go to bed out in the woods smelling like a piece of chicken. You're absolutely right. You're smelling like a piece of Kentucky Fried Chicken anyway. Or any kind of food that the that bears. Yeah, really. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. like, oh man, yeah. That that's a, you hear about those kinds of things, but rarely uh, get firsthand experience of it, man. And of course, I was in my sleeping bag, so 
that bear must have thought I was wrapped in the bag to seal in freshness. <laughs> and, uh, sure enough. Yeah. <laughs> when you do that kind of thing, do you have a weapon on you? Or were you thinking at all along those lines or in prepare for? No, that was just uh, an exploratory trip. And uh, I was coming in from the U.S., so... Uh, weapons and things like that were out of the question. And who, who would even think of pulling into a, a campground in a remote location and just going to sleep for the night and you'd be uh, having a bear come in for visiting? It just never even occurred to me. So it's wow. just one of those things turned yeah. out good. <clears throat> and that, that's without a tent. You're just on the ground with a sleeping bag. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I'm a sleeping mat in the, in, in the, uh, bag just right behind the car yeah wow well they they have very good noses that's what i so and, and i imagine if you go out and do that kind of thing you're a little bit more prepared than than maybe that trip was at this stage is that do you, i mean do you take a knife or anything else with you if you go out into the woods and go camping now or no oh sure We're, we've always gone out uh, this this wasn't really a, a camping trip. I mean, it was simply driving the car, getting tired, and, and finding a, uh, a campground. It was just a public thing. I was the only one in there. But, yeah, we're always prepared uh, when we go out in the woods. Yeah. Wow. Well, we're, um, we're to shift a little bit here. We're going into the winter season here, and... Uh, kind of curious about your, I mean, you guys are obviously professional social distancers. So uh, <laughs> yeah, how has your time homesteading and, and being out in the wilderness and, you know, I mean, you're, you're pretty practiced at being on your own, but was there a stage at the beginning that you kind of had to move through to get used to it? Or, you know, how do you, how do you cope? Well, let me just explain what the wilderness uh, living really was. If you can imagine hopping in a float plane, flying roughly 100 miles out into the wilderness, which is, consists of nothing but trees and water uh, from, from above, you're looking down, and... Uh, you pull into a beautiful lake, you land on this lake, and that was what we called home for 17 years. Imagine uh, the, the isolation, the seclusion. We didn't see another human being for six months at a time. Mm. We went shopping every six months, and that's the only time that we took care of appointments, picked up our mail, and saw other people. And then uh, you hop on this float plane with all your supplies for six months, they drop you off, you stand on the dock, you watch the plane take off and become a speck in the sky. And there's just nothing but dead silence around you. So that was our experience, like I say, for 17 years, and it was a wonderful experience. Hmm. And uh, so you have to have that commitment uh, and compatibility to, to be able to exist out there on your own um and that came naturally for us we're not antisocial, but we don't have that sense that we need to have people all around at all the time and we're just perfectly content to uh 
to live our lives on the on our own so in order to kind of uh deal with that you've you've got to go in there with the right mentality you've got to have and and it comes back to that appalachian trail and some of these uh, the, the bicycle trip you've got to have that confidence if you've got all the book smarts in the world and you've got all the coolest gadgets and equipment in the world if you don't have the confidence to be able to use that stuff it's, it's kind of useless right so we were able to go out confident in the wilderness to, to be able to live and survive and it was just an extension maine was the first thing uh, that gave us a good experience to prove that we could do this and um it was just uh, kind of a natural extension to end up out in the in the wilderness and so, so it was a real privilege so when you when you started this so i mean now obviously we're connecting with you via satellite and there's opportunities for zoom and things like that but those are more recent i mean when you started doing this 30, 40 years ago, that kind of connection wasn't really possible yet, was it? I mean, did you have? Oh, no. When we, when we were in Maine, um, for the longest time, we didn't even have a telephone on the wall. If we wanted to talk to our families, we had to get in the car, drive five miles to town, which did have a pay phone, which was right on the busiest street in the area. And, of course, every semi-truck would inevitably go oh, well. zooming by when you're trying to have a conversation on the phone. And so we didn't go into town very often to make the phone call, but at least, you know, we were able to maintain contact that way. And other than that, it was we would write letters, and they'd write letters to us. And it went that way for years. And eventually, we did get a, a, a normal landline telephone on the wall so that family could call us, we could call them. And of course, back in that day, nobody had computers, nobody had cell phones. Um, so the phone on the wall was our only way to communicate in Maine. Then when we moved to uh, the bush in northern Saskatchewan, initially we had, um, it was a radio. I mean, this was like technology from the 40s. It was that old and it didn't work terribly well. We got lots of static. The static part came through loud and clear, but to have a conversation was really quite difficult. And um, eventually, we, uh, the technology became available and affordable, and that's the radios were disbanded. The provincial government disbanded the radio system because everybody was actually forced to go to satellite if you wanted to have any communication at all. So that's what we ultimately did. And uh, it worked pretty well. Of course, it's gotten better through the years as technology improved. But it did give you the freedom to live anywhere and yet still have a means to communicate in case of an emergency, if there was a medical emergency, or in case there was an emergency with the family back home. They could at least get in touch with us and tell us, you know, what was happening. We may or may not be able to get there, but at least we could communicate and be be part of whatever was happening with the family back home. Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah. you really have to have a, or at least a level of knowledge or backup plan in case you have an emergency and need help of some and, kind. And on everything, essentially. 
I mean, really, whatever that that whole self-reliance uh, part of this, when you, when you, there's no one else around to rely on, I mean, is that do you think uh, you guys were uniquely prepared in, with from your previous lives to be able to handle this, or do you think this is something that that more people could could think about as a possibility for themselves um, i don't know were you like medically trained or that kind of thing beforehand or or have special skills that prepared you well we both took oh go ahead ron i was just going to say uh yeah before the uh, appalachian trail um trip i took an emt course and got some medical knowledge and Again, all these little things, they don't seem significant at the time, but they all add up to more tools in the toolkit that you can rely on. So uh, going, being able to go out in the wilderness, um, you've got a little bit of medical training behind you. Um, you've got uh, inventory you, as far as something that somebody can do very easily to deal with today's COVID. Simply inventory more stuff being able to live and shop twice a year forced us to know exactly what we needed for supplies how much of this food how much of that's uh me mechanical uh, spark plugs for example or air filters for the, the, the equipment mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. we constantly had an inventory and uh, an inventory listing. So when we were ready to go shopping, we had a list all ready to go. As you can imagine, once that flow plane, once you get on that flow plane and head out to the bush, uh, you better have everything you need or it's going to be a long six months before you can get back in there to, to get what you needed. So You don't want oops time to be your last word there. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, oops, oops is not a... Not an option. <laughs> what did you want to hear? That's right. Oh, so well, no cap. Do you have? Do you have this? Well, these lists now. Your books. Your 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 book. Your writing. Do you have uh, these kinds of preparation tools for your readers uh, in there, perhaps, or is that something you're working on? You know what? Actually, I'm going to interrupt that question because we need to take a short break. So we'll dive into that, and I want to hear a little bit more. I mean, actually, there's all kinds of things I want to hear a little bit more about. But for those who are listening, we want you to know that the world is waiting to hear from you, too. So if you're working on a book or have music with a message to share, our worldwide audience is looking forward to knowing about it. So access the possibilities at riseandshineasone.com. And coming up right after the break is a beautifully inspiring song that touched our hearts when we heard it. So we know it'll touch yours, too. Bob Seema is a musician, mystic, and teacher. Shannon Plumer is a shamanic practitioner, coach, singer, and speaker. Together, they founded the nonprofit Where the Light Gets In Ministries to provide personal growth programs to reach underserved youth. And they are truly rays of hope and light in the world. So stay tuned after this short break to hear No Mud, No Lotus by Bob and Shannon right after this.
In our changing world, how can you protect the self-esteem, confidence, and dreams of the children you love in just five minutes a day, even from a distance? To learn more about Uncle Mark's Best Indie Book award-winning kids book, his music, and resources to support families, visit truesunbeam.com. And if you're an author or musician with a similar mission, learn how to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. Visit Uncle Mark at truesunbeam.com. Are you a woman who's tired of staying silent and people-pleasing at the expense of your own health, wealth, and happiness? Discover the roadmap to self-confidence and freedom in Laurieann Rising's international award-winning book, You, Rising, Reclaim Your Life, Live Your Purpose. And if you're an author whose nonfiction or memoir makes a powerful difference, you're invited to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. For books, resources, and show details, visit laurieannrising.com.
Revealing the masterpiece just beneath the skin And in the glow of your own light Your petals open wide And you bloom right where you are And everything you go through Grows you Welcome back. You're listening to Rise and Shine, and that was No Mud, No Lotus by Bob Seema and Shannon Plumer. They offer music, workshops, and more that touch hearts and change lives on their website, wherethelightgetsin.us. Personally, I haven't found a song yet that didn't uplift me, so definitely check them out. We're here today with Ron and Joanna Milkyor, a couple who've been homesteading for over 40 years. And we're just talking about the book and some of the the preparation that that readers can glean from their experience. And uh, I I was just, I'm I'm fascinated to hear that you actually, uh, Ron, well, you both were involved with this confidence building process. And, you know, I I actually kind of reminds me of my my trip to New Zealand. I I wanted to, to see what life was like down under back, you know, a couple of decades ago. And I, I worked a freight ship with my backpack and guitar um, after I got out of the air force. And it was, it wound up being that kind of experience, that confidence building and, you know, being, having to, to, you know, watch the United States leave out of the back of the boat, you know, and realizing here I am on a German speaking boat and nobody, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on my own now and uh, so that that feeling was it was a it was a good one you know to know that you have to rely on yourself and and i so are there kinds of um, those kinds of things that are included in the book uh, that that will help a, a reader and listener prepare for this kind of experience well i think the the book the self-sufficient backyard for the independent homesteader does kind of it starts from the very beginning from purchasing land, assuming you don't have land already, uh, what we looked for, what you might want to look for, getting set up, uh, takes you through all how to establish gardens, how to establish an orchard. We talk about raising chickens, raising bees, talk about food preserving. There's a big chapter on that. And uh, there's also a section on staples that you you do have to buy because no matter how self-reliant you try to be there are things you are going to have to buy it's impossible for anyone to be 100 percent self-sufficient um so i included a section of all the staples that you might want to buy and their shelf life because and i did talk about this in the book as well that 
when we lived in the bush, we could only shop twice a year. And how we facilitated that by I developed these inventory sheets, probably about eight pages long of everything conceivable that we could think of that we would need to have on hand right down to matches Hmm. and canning lids. That was another thing. It wasn't just limited to food. It was any supply at all that we needed to buy in order to survive. Um, So that sort of information is in the book. Uh, most people might not need some of that in, in as much detail as we had to because of where we chose to live in the bush. But with this COVID business that's been going on, a lot of that information is actually valuable in this day and time anyway. It's not the time, in our opinion anyway, it's not the time to make a daily or a weekly shopping run. Um, <clears throat> at least last winter up here, certain sections in the grocery store the shelves were bare you couldn't buy flour you can buy a grain of flour the, it didn't matter what brand what size bag the grocery store shelf was absent of flour wow. the uh, meat counter they still had meat but it was slim pickings so it didn't affect us because we had a store of everything but if somebody didn't wasn't prepared I imagine there was a little, I would think a little bit of panic, a little bit of concern. If it had continued, it didn't, fortunately. But if it had continued, I don't know where we would be at this, you know, where people would be at this point in time if it had continued. Boy. Well, that, and this kind of brings to mind for me, you know, financially focused guy in the United States. Um, does it take a lot of money to live as independent off the grid kind of lifestyle? No, it doesn't. Um, it, it takes something, of course, to get established. You can't do something from nothing. So you've got to have something uh, financially to start out with. But your whole goal, your whole mindset is how can you save money how can you do things yourself? Um, how can you save and put every dollar that you earn either to work um, around the homestead or for the future to, um, to invest? Um, when we, years ago, I still remember, we maybe went out to, to a meal perhaps six times a, a year. And now... When we we go, uh, we splurge. We treat ourselves. Um, Kentucky we, Fried Chicken. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was just going to say KFC <laughs> and Dairy Queen. Now we go to those two, and to add and save even more, we walk up to that counter, we put in our order, and then we ask for the senior discount. So yeah. we. Yeah. We, we do save uh, whatever money we can, and that's the, the name of the game. Um, debt, stay out of debt. That has been our mantra for our entire life. If you're yep. paying uh, the bank, if you owe money to somebody, whether it's a bank or somebody else, you're not free. Um, being in debt is really anti-freedom. And... Uh, so those are some of the things uh, to, to keep in mind. Live within your means. 
that's uh, really important. And, and in terms of, is there a, like to set up just, just as a ballpark kind of, uh, maybe it, it might be, I'm sure it's going to change, you know, within a year or whatever, but in terms of like basic uh, amounts that you live on in a year, is there a ballpark that you, you could throw out that might give people an idea of, of what this lifestyle actually costs? Assuming that you've got on the land, and, and there's so many variables. It, it's, oh, yeah. I can throw a number out. There's so many variables. If you're paying a mortgage on a building or you're paying, but if you own everything outright. I'm thinking you, in terms of the supplies, your food, your, your basic needs that without, without worrying about, let's say you're, you're camped out, you don't have a, a rent or that kind of thing. Um, like you're what saying. are our living expenses for yes. the year? Is that yeah, what you're living saying? Expenses. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, keep in mind, we're in Canada, so there's a conversion, the exchange rate. Oh, true. Right. In U.S. dollars, boy, I'm just really winging it, but you should be able to do it. Forget the insurances now, you know, if you're oh, yeah. health oh, insurance, but just, no. just your, your supplies and stuff, $10,000 mm -hmm. or less. Um, you should be easily able to do that. You're buying seeds and you're, you're planting a garden. You've got all your canning supplies. You're, you're processing and, and really supplying most of your food. And mm -hmm. um, so the, the food issue should be easily covered. And it's just hopefully you don't have medical expenses or, or repairs. But uh, so mm -hmm. just to simply live on... I can't see it being any more than ten thousand mm -hmm. dollars. And that's uh, you're talking about the couple as as together. That's what you spend. Oh, absolutely. Together, yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. And even a family. Uh -huh. How much more? Uh, you're you're still growing um, a larger quantity of food, but if you do it right, a pretty small area can generate an enormous amount of food. And uh, if you're um, constantly interplanting and uh, and when something is done and you've harvested it that area replant it to something if you're in a climate that you can do something more just replant it and get a, a second crop a successive uh, crop out of it so there's a lot of things that we go into in the book to be able to help people um, get as much out of their gardens and, and really out of their their homestead that uh, really shouldn't take a lot of money. It's just getting established that uh, takes the, the, mm. the bulk of the money. And, and if it can be done in Canada, it can be done anywhere in the United States, probably. But, oh, but for sure. absolutely. It done done yeah. anywhere in North America, anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, maybe not Antarctica, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be difficult, yeah. Which, which, which climate might be changing in the next couple of years, who knows? <laughs> Well, so it's, it sounds like even though, I mean, 10000 in terms of living expenses is pretty low, but it's still an expense. So I imagine there's ways over the years you guys have been able to generate income to cover that or to even have a little extra to do some investing for later on or, or things like that. I mean, what what kinds of recommendations in terms of actually generating income 
uh, have, you know, what have you done or, or what could you suggest? Well, when, when we lived in Maine, we had quite a large acreage and it was mostly forested except for the four acre clearing where the house and the gardens were. And Ron actually took up a new career and he became a logger and he logged the property, managed the woodlot for long term, no clear cutting involved. And he can talk about that in more detail and actually does talk about it in the first book, Off Grid and Free. He has a whole book devoted to um, cultural practices of logging that make it a perpetual money farm, really. And that's how he earned his income was from the land. Um, I worked part-time when we lived in Maine. I'm a registered dietitian, so I worked part-time as a dietitian for additional income. And uh, as Ron said, whenever we had debt, we would double up on payments, triple up on payments whenever we had the money, and we got out of debt as soon as we could. We never, ever carried a credit card debt. We use credit cards. We use them today but we pay the bill off every month when it comes in. So no credit card company has ever gotten any interest out of us in 40 years. Uh, yes. And to me, that's one big secret to financial success. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we moved to Saskatchewan, we did uh, occasionally, we did would have to work uh, to, to, because even living there, you know, you did need money. Float planes particularly were expensive, and that was the biggest chunk of our budget. So we would occasionally pick up a job when um, sometimes we went to town for a few months and worked for a few months, and we'd make enough money that we could live for the next year or two years just for that short time frame. So that's, that kind of illustrates how minimal our living expenses were, that we could work for such a short period of time and then make that money last for a long time. Fantastic. Well, yeah. I, these days, I think with uh, the online opportunities with uh, virtual assistants and Fiverr and all these kinds of things, there's probably a lot of options that people can could actually be applying and, and figuring out what skills they might have or, or consulting. I mean, there's just there's so many things you can you can do with consulting um, that uh, it might be just a, a great opportunity to be creative. So anyway, write a book. <laughs> there you go. There you, you know, go. There's you know, it maybe maybe even a kid's book. Who knows? You know, you might uh, you never know who's gonna what 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 people are gonna think about it. <laughs> you know, you know, well, one of the things that uh, comes up for me, you know, you talked about you know the the forestry that you did, and then of course up in Saskatchewan being so far out there. I remember going through uh, your website and your videos, and part of that talks about a forest fire that you all survived while completely out in the middle of, uh, what was it, 100 or so miles from absolutely anything. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about that experience. I mean, it kind of goes back to being prepared for emergencies, being prepared to, you know, whatever it takes um, to, to make it work. So I'm, I'm really curious about that experience too. Absolutely. Um, as you note, uh, not only one fire, but two fires, we, we survived. And both fires got within, oh, 75 feet, uh, 75 to 90 feet of the house. So both of those fires were massive. And the first one was uh, Joanna 
she was evacuated when it ultimately came, but that thing burned for, for weeks. And we knew it was coming. We were, like you say, uh, we were prepared. When we went out there, we knew the fires were a possibility, but we had no idea of the scope of these things. We had never experienced anything like it. So when we went out, we designed the house with that potential in mind. We, we uh, had met, metal exterior, uh, both on the sides and the roof. We went out with uh, water pump and hoses and, and fire sprinklers and things so that we could at least have a shot at protecting ourselves. And sure enough, uh, it was either the first or the second year that we were out there, this massive fire. And when I talk massive, uh, I think this one burned maybe a half a million acres, something like that. Um, so it's pretty big. And uh, so there's, there's things to uh, protect yourself. Uh, just, just letting you know the experience, uh, there was an amazing thing to see. It's frightening and terrifying on the one hand, but if uh, you're you're and if you can picture this, you're out there alone on a lake, and you hear this freight train coming, and you know that's the fire coming, and then you go down to the beach, you look down at the end of the lake, and all you can see is this intense red undulating wall of flames coming, <laughs> and you talk about dry mouth, uh, you know I've in track meets and things like that. You get a little dry mouth. My mouth went stone dry. I've never experienced anything like it. So um, I headed out uh, towards that fire because that was the widest part of the lake. You have a game plan and you stick to it. And you have the confidence. Again, I keep coming back to that confidence from previous experiences. You've got that confidence that you're going to survive this thing and you have to. There's no choice. So some of the things, uh, and Joanna might be able to, to give you some idea of uh, how we prepared internally on the house, but exterior-wise, uh, we relied not only on our own equipment, but uh, the province sent out some equipment. And the idea is to set up sprinklers. It doesn't matter, and it drives me nuts to see uh, like some of these fires in the West they're totally burned out neighborhoods with swimming pools in the backyard. Mm. You've got a source Full of water and, and you don't have a pump and a, and a simple couple of sprinklers sitting on the rooftop, sprinkling away some water. The idea is that you're getting these posts of uh, poles with, with uh, the sprinklers on top as high as possible. And whether that's uh, cutting some poles and trees down, which is what we did, but also we had them mounted simply on what, each end of the house on the top of the roof. And you're trying to create a, a dome of humidity. If you know there's a fire that's on its way, you get those sprinklers going pronto. You start watering the area down. You build up that humidity in, right around the house. And that fire will bounce around the house and keep on trucking. We've seen firsthand twice now how that, uh, that definitely works, and it's something that people sh in fire-prone areas should uh, keep in mind. The thing is you've got to have a, a, an escape plan. You, you should really have plan A, B, and C um, as far as escaping uh, if you're in a fire-prone area. And um, 
you should uh, have the confidence and the knowledge to be able to, uh, you know, set all this stuff up in a hurry and uh, know that you're not going to put this thing out. You'll never put it out. So you're simply trying to protect yourself and your valuables, and then you get out of Dodge. So these sprinkler poles are not a permanent part of your, your house. They're not just set up all the time. You, you put that up when you found out the fire was coming? Well, well actually, uh, when we knew that the fires, after that, after that first fire came through, they became a permanent uh, fixture. So we had... Uh, well, well we, what we did, go ahead. I was going to say what we would do is every spring we'd set them up in preparation just in case. Mm. And then in the fall, we would take it down because there's no danger of a fire when it's 40 below and there's two feet of snow on the ground. Right. So it it was just our our routine or our ritual. We set it up in the spring, we took it down the fall, then we put it back up in the spring and take it down in the fall. And of course in the fall, it would be draining all the water out of the pump and all the lines and all the valves because any water left would freeze and damage uh, whatever yeah. piece of equipment was left in. So there was a whole winterizing aspect of it, too. Okay, that makes sense. That makes and sense. that routine, I, I'll just add, that routine after the first fire of having everything set up in the spring, there were several times where we ran down to that pump mm. um, in ensuing years to get that pump going uh, because there was a fire very close by so uh, it's a good good habit to get into is this a gas powered pump or is it a solar electric no it's gas powered okay. and um part of our ritual every spring was to have our survival suits and a survival bag of uh, supplies smoke masks anything that we needed so, so a little bit of food packed so that if we needed to get out, if there was a fire, and they've, they've happened, it, it, we've had that experience where you go out after lunch, and it's like, wow, uh, something's wrong. And you immediately, uh, I ran to the edge of the woods, uh, the lake, and sure enough, there was a column of smoke going up uh, a couple mile away. So uh, you want to be prepared. It's stuff that you're going to just grab and get to the boat or get uh, to whatever escape mm-hmm. you've got planned and uh just to the plan yep yeah wow. okay well now uh, well and i i have to interrupt i'm sorry i i, I we're, we're getting really close to the end of the time and all i can say is we, we do have links to those videos and and the pictures and stuff in our fan club and i have to say that you know just noticing literally the fire line like it was night and day you talk about that dome of humidity there was green and then a line of black there was no gray area i mean it was just so obvious that your dome was very defined it worked (laughs) it did work it worked really well so i i i know you you both have so much more to offer and i want to make sure that people can get in touch with you and find your books and connect with you so what's the best way for them to do that oh we've got uh we've got social media going so facebook uh they can check out uh, either google um, our names, Google uh, the, the books, self, the Self-Sufficient Backyard 
for the independent homesteader or off grid and free my path to the wilderness. Um, we've got a website in the wilderness.net that people are more than welcome to visit. And if they've got specific questions, we'd be happy to do a specific post purely to address whatever question they've got. And um, we can be also uh, contacted through that means. So there's lots of social media and, and people can simply uh, utilize the, the internet to get a hold of us. And we're happy to deal with anybody that wants to uh, chat some more. Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. generous and very cool of you guys. That That's, that's really awesome. And, and I'm just so stoked that you're able to join us again. I'm looking forward to our Thank next you. installment on this continuing uh, program <laughs> we have here. So uh, yes. I, I love the stories. I could, I could do this every week. But uh, before we go, we want to remind you that Uncle Mark, actually myself and I and uh, Lori are on a mission to create a world that works for everyone and uplift voices that aren't typically heard. So if you are or know someone who is an author, like Ron and Joanna, or another musician, or an innovator who is challenging all the paradigms and opening heartstrings and, and minds and just wanting to make the world a better place, we want you to reach out to our worldwide audience. Visit riseandshineas1.com to learn more. And thank you so much again for being with us today. And remember, until next week, wherever you are, there's always time for remembering to rise, rise and, and shine. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for being here. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Rise and Shine. Please join Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead for another great show next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, keep rising and shining. The sound of the joy is high.